Thanks to advances in medical care, a growing number of Americans can survive substantially longer than they otherwise would as long as they remain in or repeatedly return to the hospital, where immediate advanced care is available for all their needs. But providing care for such patients is expensive, and their readmission rates don't respond to the latest interventions for keeping patients out of the hospital. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with David Rubin, Director of the UCLA Multicampus Program in Geriatric Medicine and Gerontology, and of the UCLA Claude Pepper Older Americans Independence Center. Dr. Rubin has co-authored a perspective article on the hospital-dependent patient. Dr. Rubin, can you describe for us a typical hospital-dependent patient? What might he or she have been admitted for originally, and what sorts of conditions will have contributed to the difficulty or impossibility of living at home or even in a nursing home? The typical hospital-dependent patient is somebody who is old, is someone who has multiple medical conditions, some of which are compensated, and most frequently they come in because one has decompensated, such as heart failure or COPD, or they may be admitted for a new condition such as a fall, but they have this backdrop of chronic conditions that are very tenuously balanced. What would the typical hospital care for such a patient be? So the typical hospital care for these patients is first to address their presenting complaint, uh, the illness that got out of whack in the first place. But what tends to happen with these folks is as you treat one condition, sometimes you exacerbate the other. So, for example, if somebody appears to be volume depleted and you try to address that issue, what will happen is they have very little heart reserve and they'll go into heart failure. So these folks, the index condition, the reason why they originally came in the hospital may or may not be the reason why they can't either be discharged safely or they they bounce back. You make it clear in your article that the existence of a growing number of patients like this is in part a byproduct of advances in medicine. So what are some of the key advances that have led us to this point, and how long have patients like this been with us? To a greater or lesser degree, patients like this have always been with us because there are always people who were either about to discharge and something comes up and we're able to treat. But as our capacity for monitoring and responding more quickly has increased, these folks are more apparent. What used to happen when we had few bedside monitors, few remote monitors, that these people would be discharged and they would get sick at home and oftentimes die. We'd never get back to the hospital in time. Certainly during my training in the late 1970s and 1980s, there were many patients who were discharged to home and got sick and couldn't get back to the hospital quickly enough. Today, we're actually recognizing those people earlier and taking steps to try to prevent that from happening. But with each additional intervention, sometimes something else decompensates. To what extent is the problem related to increased expectations among patients and their families? I think our expectations as patients uh, or as family members of patients have always been relatively high. We always want the best for ourselves and for our family members. What has changed is some of these things that we thought were impossible are now much more possible. And so we're seeing in ourselves, we're seeing in our family members, we're seeing in our friends, people who are very, very sick and kind of at the brink of death recover, recover in having meaningful lives. 
So our expectation of what is possible is actually much better. It's people who we thought in the past were going to just, this was going to be the last chapter, but it turns out it isn't the last chapter. Despite those cases, do you think that in general expectations need changing, or do you think that this sort of is part of progress? It is part of progress, and expectations also need to change. It's both. And this is what happens very frequently, is that patient will be admitted to the hospital, and everybody will be on board with trying to get that person back to their previous level of function and their previous level of quality of life. But it doesn't work out that way. They decompensate to come back in the hospital, and there's a term for this colloquial use as frequent flyers to the hospital. They come back in and out, in and out, and commonly what will happen is after four or five of these readmissions, patients and and family members and physicians will say, this just isn't working. This isn't working, and this is how it's going to be because we don't have the definitive cure, and is this good enough? Many of my patients at some point or another will say, geez, this is not the life I want coming in and out of the hospital. On the other hand, there are some who feel pretty good in the hospital. They aren't ready to toss in the towel, and they will accept this. You say in your article that hospital treatment should be focused on the patient's goals and preferences. Do you think, in fact, that it's frequently driven by the clinician's goals or even by what's possible to do? I think that is the case. I think that we as providers frequently know what is possible and try to offer what is possible to people. And we are sometimes disappointed when patients don't choose what's possible. Sometimes they will not want to try to do everything. I saw somebody yesterday like that where we could have probably actually done an intervention. It was a surgical intervention, and the patient was 97 years old, and he just said, I don't want surgery. Simple as that. So what is possible or what we can do is sometimes what drives us as physicians, we always want to do our best for patients. We want to try to cure diseases that we can or illnesses that we can. But sometimes that's not always in line with what the patient wants or what might be best for the patient. In terms of the scope of the problem, you say in your article that very little is known about the prevalence of hospital-dependent patients. But in your experience, what is the size of the problem? One of the things that you can do is when you are caring for patients in the hospital, you have a pretty good handle on this. I mean, you can assess from a clinical perspective. It's not so easy to say, you know, which specific thing it is that tips you off, but you've got a clinical intuition is that this person at the time of discharge, you've done everything you're supposed to do, you've crossed the T's, you've dotted the I's, but you're pretty sure this person's going to return to the hospital. Now, with the exact percentages of all readmissions, nobody really knows. We're doing some research looking at patients who are recently discharged from the hospital and return to the hospital and say, geez, was this avoidable or was this unavoidable? And it turns out that a fairly substantial number, in fact, maybe the majority of these, are people who the admitting physician feels probably wasn't avoidable. It was an unavoidable readmission. But as I mentioned in the paper, is that this hasn't really been systematically studied. Finally, looking at alternatives, you acknowledge in your article that existing venues for post-hospital care don't actually have the capacity or the capability to care for all these patients. So what do you envision as a systemic solution? 
solutions are going to be very difficult. The solutions for this are going to be very difficult because each of the post-acute settings has its own limitations. And this is partly by design, partly by evolution, but none of them are really geared up for taking care of patients who might acutely decompensate it. And that, for example, a nursing home to be able to care for people who are unstable or perilously close to decompensating would have to have much more in terms of on-site laboratory availability, response teams by nurses and by physicians than they're capable of doing. So there's really kind of nothing out there, and health systems are going to have to innovate here. They may want to designate some beds for these patients within acute care hospitals, but any way you look at it, it's going to be expensive. The kind of care that they need is expensive. What we're currently using as the default is every time they decompensate, they're readmitted, and you start over again. The question is, if you are more proactive and systematically manage these patients in a higher acuity setting, it might be more like a step-down unit within a hospital and, and allow them to stay there considerably longer. Do you save money in the long run? And that's not known. That's not known. Are there less expensive ways in this kind of haphazard system of doing our best to ensure safe transitions, but realizing that these folks are so precariously compensated that they could decompensate at any minute? Thank you, Dr. Rubin.